Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, an in-depth conversation about freedom, about the intersection of European and Canadian politics. Believe it or not, there is one, and lots more with Christine Anderson, the member of the European Parliament from Germany. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to you all, Canada's most irreverent talk show here. This is The Andrew Lawton Show on True North. It's not often that we cast a wide net and talk about European politics exclusively on this show, and I am going to try to steer clear of that on this, although I think what's fascinating is that in this global era, the freedom movement is one that really transcends national borders. We saw people from the United States, from Canada, the United Kingdom, Austria, Germany, Australia, and many other places all link up during the COVID era because they realized that what united them as people pushing back against government overreach was ultimately a stronger bond than what might have divided them as far as uh, space and time and geography and all of that fun stuff. And as people looked at the global picture, there were some very standout examples of people standing athwart history and yelling stop, of people pushing back against this, even at great political risk to themselves. One of them was the member of the European Parliament, Christine Anderson, who hails from Germany, but obviously she works for the European Parliament, and she is part of a a small but mighty and small but vocal group in the European Parliament that is standing up so unequivocally for freedom. And Canada caught Ms. Anderson's eye a little over a year ago when the Freedom Convoy was headed to Ottawa, and then when the federal government had its massive crackdown on that convoy. Take a look. This message today goes out to all the Canadians, especially the Canadian truckers. I am so very proud of you. I applaud your bravery and your determination to stand up for freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. You have given hope to so many people in the world. You have shown the world that this small fringe minority is not all that small after all. More importantly, you demonstrated how to deal with an ever-increasing governmental overreach. This is not something you put up with. No, this is something you need to shut down. That was certainly what put Christine Anderson on a lot of Canadians' radars, and she wasn't finished there when Justin Trudeau, some months later, went on his European tour and actually sat down in the European Parliament in Brussels. Christine Anderson had some harsh words for him then as well. It would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a prime minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this house at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. 
As you can see, a woman who doesn't shy away from saying what she thinks. We need a few people with those instincts in politics in Canada as well. But Christine Anderson is going to be coming herself to Canada in just under one month, February 18th to 25th. She is going to be touring Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec. You can get all the details of this tour at www.cadtour.com. Now that's what would Christine Anderson do? That's the acronym there, www.cadtour.com tour.com and you look at the itinerary there she's going to be going to Alberta at the Calgary Petroleum Club Southside Victory Church she's going to be speaking at the Canada Christian College in Whitby and doing a dinner in Toronto and then off to Quebec for a send-off cocktail dinner with dessert and dancing you don't often get that at freedom events although I the convoy did have dessert and dancing and I don't know about cocktails but maybe they should have had that in any event it is my great pleasure to welcome Christine Anderson on to the program now. Christine, it's wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the obvious question here. You're a member of the European Parliament. I know you've got a, a full plate of things you need to deal with there. Why is it important to you to, to tour Canada? And actually, if I can be frank, why do you care about Canada? Well, um, you know, first of all, I, I just want to meet the most bravest people in the world, uh, what I consider the most brave, uh, the brave people in the world uh, in the past three years at least. Um, and it, it was just, you know, Canada, I mean, Trudeau really did overplay his hand there with the, you know, violations on fundamental rights, democracy, and a rule of law. And it, he, he just, he was so obvious about it and he didn't even seem to care. And um, I was like, I mean, Canada, you know, once free country, how is it possible? And how quickly uh, did that all, you know, come about? Uh, that just, you know, struck me. And I was like, something is going seriously wrong here. So uh, yeah, I took a particular in interest uh, in that. And then plus <clears throat> you had, I mean, that you had the freedom convoy over there and uh, you know, just think about what, what, started this i mean what it you know what happened from there uh it was really the trucks went rolling and uh they did not only roll in canada you know it was a symbol of, of hope a symbol mm -hmm. of freedom and that traveled throughout the world and uh i really just want to meet the people that made this all happen uh because that really woke a lot of people up and they came to realize <laughs> something is not right here and what my government is telling me, it may not all be true. I know that you obviously lived in, in the United States, so you're familiar with North America, and, and obviously you've picked up a bit of the political culture there, but was Canada on your radar in any meaningful way before the convoy happened? Um, I've always wanted to go and, and, and see your country. I mean, as, you know, but I didn't have any particular interest in Canada. No, not that I could say. But uh, like I said, uh, the freedom truckers, they really uh, struck a nerve with me. And uh, yeah, and now I just have to come, whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, I, I, you, it's funny you say that because a lot of people I think will like it and, and I think should come. And, and I know tickets are already uh, going for your events, but, but there are going to be a lot of people that are trying to look at uh, people like you in Europe and with European parties, and they use these scary words like far-right, populist, extremist. And in Europe, do you have the same problem with those terms just being applied by the media and by people on the political left to try to discredit you? 
you know, they can try, but they, it, they are not successful. I mean, you know, they can label me with whatever they want, um, but no one gets to define me. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. And I know I am on the right side with this. And uh, so no, no one gets to define me. They may try, you know, but I'm not going to go for this. So whatever label they, they want to slap on me, let them, you know, I, I, I can't deal with that. That's no problem at all. One story I found interesting when I, I learned a little bit about your uh, political party, Alternative for Germany, is that it was, as I understand it, at one point targeted by German intelligence and investigated as being this extremist group. And that, that struck me as very similar to what Justin Trudeau does to his political critics, what he did throughout the convoy, where he, he takes this apparatus of the state and uses it for political purposes more than what these things are supposed to be used for. Right. I mean, yeah, we've been seeing that in Germany. Um, I mean, we, we do have the state, you know, secret intelligence uh, service, if you want to call it, you call it Bundes, Bundes uh, uh, Verfassungsschutz. And uh, the primary, uh, 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 or what they should do, is to actually protect the Constitution. Um, and uh, they should be on the lookout for any groups, you know, that want to undermine the constitution, uh, overthrow the government, you know, with, with violent means. But um, it's been abused uh, to pretty much suppress the, uh, uh, the the opposition. And that's just a no-go in, you know, in a, in, in a democracy, you should never do that. But they're just doing it. And, you know, they're coming up with all kinds of accusations. And uh, the, the latest group they uh, arrested, um, I, I, I'm not kidding here, was a bunch of uh, uh, elderlies, you know, like 78, 80, 82. And it was like, I think like eight or nine of, of them. And uh, they passed around this picture of this old lady holding, you know, some bag or whatever. And, and she is now being paraded around as this terrorist trying to, to overthrow the government. I know, it's so ridiculous. The, these 80-year-olds were a threat to the national exactly. security of yeah. Germany somehow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then they, they were, they are being accused of having tried to uh, kidnap our Secretary of Health. I mean, him of all people, who would want to kidnap, kidnap this lunatic, you know? <laughs> uh, seriously. Yeah, but it's like a lot of people, they, they still fall for this and they don't even realize how ridiculous that even sounds, you know? I mean, eight, nine, 80 years old, 80 year olds. Yeah, really. <laughs> but they're doing it. And uh, yeah, we have been a target of that too. And we still are, by the way. Um, so, but, you know, when I found out that they were, you know, observing us, I just said, well, you know, tell you the truth, if I have to leave the house at night to, you know, walk around the block or whatever, you know, get something, I feel much safer now. Yeah, you've got uh, free personal protection from the government. That's a good way to put a, a positive spin on it. But I, let me ask you about where Europe is in, in your view compared to North America, because I, I know that for Canadian conservatives and, and certainly American conservatives, they have historically looked at Europe as being the place where freedom is just no longer within reach. They, they've said Europe is dead. And a lot of this you can trace back to the way European governments ha have just uh, completely opened their borders to unfettered migration. Civil liberties have been trampled on. Uh, when the COVID was happening, we saw 
some very extreme measures around the world, though, in Australia and Canada, and even the United States, which still right now has a vaccine mandate. So what's your perspective as a European representative in the European Parliament, rather, uh, to where Europe is compared to North America for freedom? Is it still within grasp in your view? Um, That's actually a a tough one to answer. Um, they've been on this for, for so long now. And what we are seeing is um, they are redefining uh, certain concepts. For instance, fundamental rights. They're now privileges, you know, that the government can grant you or can withhold depending, uh, depending upon uh, your behavior or whatever. And, and that is a, such a perversion of, you know, these concepts. Um, then you, you take... you human rights, for, for example, you know, uh, now it is a human right uh, to have an abortion, you know, and they will call out on any country that they presume to be in violation of that fundamental right. Um, except when, for, for instance, when uh, the US Supreme Court overturned uh, Roe versus Wade, I mean, this place was went ballistic here, all of these poor women and there are being, you know, whatever. And uh, but they fail to see when there are actual violations of fundamental rights, as happened in Canada, as happened in the United States or here, you know, where people were locked in their homes because they were asymptomatic, might have been asymptomatic, you know, with some virus or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, they fail to see that these are the actual violations of fundamental rights. Uh, take a freedom of speech, for instance. You may have heard of, uh, or I'm pretty sure you have, uh, Jordan B. Peterson. You know, they're now threatening him that he has to undergo re-education. You know, or he stands to lose his license. I mean, on what planet would that be considered uh, uh, something you would do in a democracy? It, it's it's absurd. So. The, the real problem actually is, and, and you mentioned that, it did not only go on here in Europe or in Germany or in France or Italy. It was in, in Australia, in New Zealand. I mean, in every single Western democracy, you had exactly the same thing happening. They were basically in, in lockstep as we, and literally down to the same words, build back better, vaccine, 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 you know, safe and, and effective and all of that, and it came from all of them. And that is actually the most scary thing about this all, because like I always say, if it was two or three countries going rogue, you know, and, and you know, kind of like violating on fun, and fundamental rights, uh, you could hope that one of the other democratic countries will step in eventually and put a stop to it. But if it's all of them, who in the heck is gonna bail us out? Who? Mm-hmm. China? I think not. North Korea? Hell no. And it's not going to be Russia either. So who is going to do that? And that is actually the conclusion from that has to be there is only the people left. We have to do it. The people have to do it. There isn't going to be anyone else coming. You're very right about that. And and I, I think, you know, Canada is a tremendous example of that. This is normally a very passive country. We're not born of revolution. And and unlike your country, we don't have in, in living memory a time when there was such a thing as an East Germany for or a Soviet Union that was directly uh, in affecting Canadians like it was in Europe. And, and I think that's often been to our, our detriment that we don't have that in our history and in our, our collective memory. But uh, you do raise an important point that when government pushes too far, 
they can awaken this sentiment that pushes back against them. It was the truckers. I look at what happened in, in Austria when Austria was planning one of the most evil totalitarian policies of, of the COVID era, which was mandatory vaccination, a fine of, I think it was something like 6,000 euros or around that if someone didn't get vaccinated. And Germany was considering something like that too, were they not? Yes, they were. And, you know, just talking about it and just threatening to come up with a vaccine mandate actually made people know because they figured if it's going to come anyway, then I might as well do it now. And that then I'll be allowed to go to a restaurant again, you know. And, and that's the, the coercion. That, they they people, don't even yeah, have to pass the law exactly. to get the effect. Exactly. It was coercion. And um, they, they didn't even try to hide it. I mean, our Secretary of Health, he just came right, right out and he said, well, you know, if we if we have a mandatory uh, uh, vaccine, then uh, people are going get, to get vaccinated. And that's what we want. We want them to get vaccinated. And we need to put pressure on them, you know. And there was talk of um, they wouldn't be allowed to go to work anymore. There was talk of if they were hospitalized, they get no treatment or they have to pay for the treatment themselves, you know. I mean, I am German and uh, we have, you know, 12 very, very dark years now. And we remember it every year on a particular day, by the way, tomorrow, once again, we will, you know, uh, remember the end of the Holocaust. So, um, but uh, people fail to recognize the mechanisms that were put in place back then to enable such a regime. And they're looking at it right now and they do not see it because now it's the good guys doing it. Yeah, right. When you talk about everyone in the world being in lockstep, that is, I, I think, a very important point to consider here. And I, I mentioned to you just before we started recording, and my listeners and, and viewers are aware, I was in Davos last week covering the World Economic Forum. And, and the challenge of events like that is that all of a sudden, the world leaders that show up are not representing their own countries anymore. They're all representing this little club of global elites in the Swiss village of Davos when they show up there. There. And I, I think the European Union is a big part problem here because you have countries that are a member of this body that tries to have a, a, its own pseudo-national European identity, uh, which you cannot really have unless you give up a, at least a part of your German identity or your French identity or your Italian identity. And I, I see that as being a huge issue. And I, I think every country in the world should be protecting its sovereignty far more than they have been. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's exactly what they're doing. This is a, a major attack on our very identity. Uh, you know, we're not ta only talking about national identity. We're not only talking about cultural identity. We're also talking about sexual identity. Uh, you know, it, your sexual biological identity, that goes down to the very core of who you are as a human being. And they're trying to take that away too. I mean, they're at it as, as we speak. And uh, I always wonder, you know, if I can be anything at any time, you know, a woman today, a man tomorrow, maybe something completely different on the next day or whatever. And you can, I mean, what are you going to be in the end? Nothing. You will be nothing. You have no identity left. Uh, there, there will be nothing. So, um, yeah, we are in big trouble. And uh, if people don't start realizing it, pretty soon, uh, we may not have a chance to prevent it anymore. 
I see this as being very tied into digital ID and central bank digital currencies. Again, two policies that the European Union is is going full steam ahead towards. And what people who are apathetic about these things or supportive of these things don't realize, or maybe some of them do and are very enthusiastic about it, is that when your identity is the property of the state or it's something that you can't physically hold in your hand and control in your hand, it is the state's power. And, and anyone who looked at the freezing of truckers' bank accounts in Canada should have no interest and no time and no patience for anything digital that is controlled by someone other than themselves. But so many Europeans are, are going along with this, and I, I'm wondering if you think the reason is that they're too trusting in government or that they just don't even think about the long-term implications of these things. If you, when, once you look at the countries, in the, the Eastern European countries, it, it's not been that long ago that they had to live under a totalitarian Soviet rule. They remember and they have learned how to read a newspaper. It, you know, the point is not what's in the paper. The interesting stuff is what's not in the paper mm. and you have to read between the lines. So they see it, they feel it, because it feels exactly the same as what they had overcome uh, 30 years ago. So, um, but we, as we have been born and raised in Western democracies, we are spoiled brats. And uh, the totalitarian regimes of the past, um, they were rather blunt about it. You know, they just started rounding up people and, you know, uh, locking them up or whatever. Now they're way more clever they just tell it's for your own good. You know, we want to protect human rights. So uh, every human right, you can be a man, a woman, you, you can go into a woman's restroom or locker. You know, uh, if you feel like a woman, you can go in there, you know, all of these things. So this complete shift of what we once thought were our, the, the concepts of what democracy was built on is now being deconstructed completely. And uh, that's what we have to deal with. And the people, I can't stress this enough, people need to start realizing and they need to revisit what democracy is all about. That's an incredibly important point you raise about the redefining of terms. I, I've followed a number of cases over the years that have gone towards the European Court of Human Rights, which in and of, it, in and of itself is, I think, an offensive existence. But the European Court of Human Rights has a, a very malleable view of what freedom of speech is, and they try to balance this against other harms. And you could make a comment about radical Islam that has happened in, in a case not that long ago that the European Court of Human Rights says, well, your free speech doesn't really apply there. And uh, this is something people should be terrified of because they are giving up the power. It's not being seized. They've, they're giving it away. Right. It's, you're, you're exactly right. So um, we're seeing this. And uh, that actually concerns me the most because uh, Northern America, the United States and Canada, um, I mean, I can only really speak about the United States. Uh, they had a, a very strong concept of freedom of speech. I mean, that was the most fundamental rights you, you, you could even imagine. Yeah, there's a reason it's the First Amendment. <laughs> exactly. And the, the, the U.S. courts, they uh, generate a freedom of speech. But now even, in, well, you know, you might be hurting people and, you know, this, that and the other. And uh, I, I had it happen here in the FAM committee, that is the committee on the 
uh, equal uh, um, equality between men and women. Um, so uh, I was uh, a colleague of mine. She urged the chair of the committee to launch an investigation into me because I might have um, might have violated. Oh, what's the term she used? I might have I might have committed the crime of hate speech. Can you imagine? So she was accusing me. And, and, and what me was it? What was it you said that was so hateful? I'll I'll, I'll get to that. So she I, I launched an investigation. I could have committed a hate crime. And what had I said? I said just to be clear, there's only two sexes: men and women. That's it. So I committed a hate crime. Really? I just kind of laughed at her and said, "Yeah, sure, whatever." So uh, yeah, but it's absurd. You know, I mean, this is a, a biological fact, you know, but yeah, that's the clown world we live in right now. And people should be terrified of that. I mean, haven't they written 1984? And that book was not supposed to be a blueprint. It was a warning. And now it's being banned yeah. in schools, by the way. Yeah, and, and the books that they're trying to ban are always the ones that I think independent thinkers should be flocking to and, and reading because there's something they don't want you exactly. to, to see there. Now, I, I know, Christine, you're, you're speaking across Canada. I, I've mentioned the, the dates at the beginning, and I'll mention them again at the end. But are you also, as a, a representative, a foreign representative, going to be uh, meeting with any politicians here or hoping to meet with any politicians here? Yes, I, I will be meeting some politicians, too. Um, I mean, since I'm there, I might as well. Um, I mean, you guys do have a couple of politicians I would actually like to meet. Um, they seem to be uh, pretty good guys. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing that. But the main focus is really on, on meeting the people and, you know, uh, yeah, just getting to know, like I said, some of the most brave, brave people, the, the bravest people in the world. And the, the, the last question I'll, I'll ask you then, when you think about the message that you'll be bringing to Canada and perhaps elsewhere when you speak, are you an optimist or are you hopeful? Oh, absolutely. If I wasn't hopeful, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be doing any of this because then, you know, I, I would just, I don't know. But yeah, I am optimistic. I am hopeful. Uh, you kind of have to be because otherwise you, you could not do what I do. And the freedom truckers, they have to be optimistic too, because they would have never been able to pull this off, you know, had they not had some hope and had they not had the reassurance that it will in the end all turn out for the better. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, we certainly look forward to your visit, Christine Anderson, member of the European Parliament. Uh, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really looking forward to coming over. That was Christine Anderson, the upcoming tour starting February 18th. A little bit of a significant date as we talk about the end of the Freedom Convoy and the one-year anniversary of it. She's going to start in Alberta, then make her way to Ontario, and then a final send-off in Quebec. The details are at www.cadtour.com. What would Christine Anderson do tour? Dot com. So that is going to be coming up, and I'll certainly try to make it out to at least one of them, and I hope to see some of you there as well. So uh, thanks again to Christine and to all of you for tuning in to The Andrew Lawton Show today. We will talk to you next week, but there's a Fake News Friday in the meantime that you can see on Friday, I guess. That's why we call it Fake News Friday. So hope you enjoy that. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. 
Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.